to have been Judas's mother. We're going to talk about Judas today. Judas the traitor. We go from last week to seeing a lady named Mary. A lady that gave God. Is traitor, traitor's not spelled right, is it? Is it spelled? It's not spelled right. A trait, trait R, trait R, trait R. So we're just saying it fancy today, okay? Judas the traitor. I didn't do this, so this wasn't my fault. So, but people blame me. Was it that way in the notes I gave out to them? Could have been, but that's why you have a secretary, right? That's their job to make sure the things are spelled right. I graduated school. I did, but I went to a Christian school, and I used those paces for a long time, those ACE paces. So my spelling's probably not the greatest. I get that, and that's why. Did you fix it back there for me? Good job, Joe. You know how to spell? I help you all the time finding songs, and you knew how to spell this whole time. Who knew? Who knew? Or maybe you're learning from your kids when they come home from school. It's amazing. In, in our Christian school, we don't use those paces. And like in second grade, they're spelling words like traitor. And I couldn't spell that in seventh grade. I don't even know if I... I I'm not going to look close at my notes and see. Is it right on those notes? It is? So I'm sure I did it right. I'm sure of it. We'll just leave that there. But we looked at Mary last week. And Mary, she had this expensive box of ointment. Worth, in today's money, about $20,000. She took it and broke it and poured it on Jesus. And the Bible says that Judas spoke up against it and said, You're wasting that. Could have been used to give to the poor. There's so much more that could have been done. You wasted it giving it to Jesus. And what a statement to make. Well, the Bible says that many of the other disciples followed in with this thing. And Jesus says, hey guys, leave her alone. Don't trouble her. What she's doing, it's a beautiful thing. And besides that, you have the poor with you. She seized the moment, and she did all that she could with what she had for me. What a story. And the, and the verse says, right after that, it says, everyone that hears the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to remember this lady that broke her alabaster box of ointment for Jesus. There's also someone else that everybody's going to remember. It's the man we're looking at today. What a contrast from Mary to Judas. Let's read verse number 10 through verse 21 this morning. And we'll dive into our thoughts. Verse 10 says, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. How much money did Judas get? Thirty pieces of silver. Do you know how much that thirty pieces of silver is worth? Probably about thirty or forty bucks. Think about this for a minute. He thought it was a waste to waste $20,000 on this ointment on Jesus. But he thought it was worth it to get 40 bucks for betraying him. It's amazing what this world looks at as valuable and what God looks at as valuable. Big contrast between the two. So we see he's going to deliver him to the chief priest and they're going to give him money. Let's keep on reading. It says, And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And the first day of unleavened bread, when he had killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall 
There shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he go in, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And I will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, way to kill the moment, right? This is quite the dinner table conversation. Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to, unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto him, Is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish? The Son of Man indeed goeth as is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have. We love you. We need you. We thank you for this passage. Guide us and help us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week we saw Mary with this, with real love for the Savior. The sacrifice that she made. And she basically was saying, I'll give you everything, Lord. And then you see on the other side you have Judas. What can I get? Totally different. Judas. One of the twelve. He lived with Jesus for three years. He's named, he's one of the twelve. What happened? Why did he betray Jesus? Why was he the traitor? I want to give you some thoughts on that. Talk about the Passover for a couple minutes. And then close out on the response of all the disciples this morning. Number one, as we dive in, we see the mystery of Judas. The mystery of Judas. Now, the name Judas is a very common name in those days. It's derived from Judah, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So a lot of people had the name Judas. Now, if you look, his name's Judas Iscariot. If you were to look real close, the ish means man, and Cariot, Kareth, it's a town about 23 miles south of Jerusalem. So Judas, the man of Keroth, that's what it literally means. It's talking about his hometown. Now, a lot of people were named Judas, but do you know, after this happens, it seems like people kind of got away from the name Judas just a little bit. Just like, how many of you name, anybody name your daughter Jezebel? Anybody do that to your daughter? I hope you wouldn't do that to your daughter. Because when you think of Jezebel, that's not a great name, right? Same thing with Judas. Did you know Jesus had a half-brother named Judas? Is the book called Jude or Judas? It's called Jude. They didn't do short of names a lot of times. You know, it doesn't say First Pete, right? The book of Pete. Or John the, the Rev. I don't know. You could go with different ones. You have Joe. Joe instead of John. And Lou instead of Luke. I don't know. It doesn't do that. There was another Judas of the Twelve. He was called Thaddeus. Kind of like they didn't want anything to do with that name after that time. The mystery of Judas. Judas was one of the twelve. He was there with the Lord. What was different? What happened here? We read that there in verse number 10, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him. The word betray means to deliver over to. Jesus prophesied about this. We read this several weeks ago in Mark 9, 31. 
For he taught his disciples and saith unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. Do you see how he's delivered to? That's what betrayed means. It's the same meaning right there. And so Jesus prophesied that this was going to take place. And as we look and we see this man Judas, he betrays him. And then we also see the religious people wanted Jesus dead. That was their desire. That's really great religious people, isn't it? The religious people today wanted Jesus dead. Is that very religious? Is that very holy living? Isn't that breaking one of the Ten Commandments that they wanted to keep so close? Thou shalt not kill, right? Sometimes you think you are so steep in your traditions and things, you lose sight of what true religion and undefiled before God really is. James talks about that. Verse number 11 tells us that the religious leaders were excited. And then when they heard it, they were glad. And they promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. He would, when is going to be the best time to pull this off? We know they end up doing it in the middle of the night and things. But literally, for 40 bucks at the most. It's all he got. To betray the Son of Man. What does the Bible tell us about Judas? The Bible tells us a few things about him in John chapter number 12. We see letter A this morning about the mystery of Judas. We see that he was covetous. He wanted, and you know, we read those verses last week. He wanted, he wanted more money to give to the poor. But that's not true. That's not what he was really thinking. Because not only was he covetous, but letter B, he was a thief. The Bible tells us in John chapter number 12 that he was the treasurer and he kept the bag. And he was a thief, and he would take what he wanted out of the bag. That's what it says. That's literally what Judas did. He was a thief. So when he says this could have been given to the poor, yeah, you put $20,000 into a bag. There are a lot of people you could feed, but he could also take some, and no one would ever know what he did. He also let her see he was deceitful. When Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, no one jumped up and said, I... Judas, I knew it. Is it I? Is it I? Judas played the part well. He played it very well, and no one of the 12 didn't even realize that it was him. I'll give you a little side thought, and we're going to cover this at the end this morning. If one of the 12 were not true followers of Christ and truly saved, what makes you think in a church that the, all the people that come to church are saved? The perfect teacher, Jesus, the perfect leader, never messed up, never led you astray, only did what was right. If the perfect leader had one bad apple among the twelve, we don't have anything close to perfect around here. So I tend to think there's probably a few rotten apples in the bunch too. I'm just throwing that out and we'll talk more about that at the end this morning. Judas, this guy, he was covetous, he was a thief, he was deceitful. How would you have liked to have been his mother? That's my son, Judas. We look at number two, we see the Passover was about to come, and we see the preparation for the Passover meal. How many of you this morning have plans for Mother's Day today? You've got a restaurant you're going to, or you've got, or how many of you are going out to eat? Okay, so um, where are you guys going? Where? Okay, cool, that's nice. Gonna, are you going to hike up there? Nice, that's nice. You'll work your lunch off, and then 
I've done that, and I've walked all the way up there, and then after I eat, I'm like, I do not want to walk back down. I do not want to walk back down. But that's, that's a nice hike there. Who else is going out today? There you go. Oh, you're that, fine, Carla. I didn't want you to say anything anyways. Your dad would tell me he likes me. But anyways, I won't do that. I'll let that key stay a secret there. But the thing is, you have a plan. So, Carly, you do have a restaurant, though, that you're going to, right? Yes, you do. Imagine this morning calling your family and being like, oh, yeah, we got to get together. We don't know where we're going, though, and we don't have a plan. Some of you are like, that's my family. Maria's laughing a little bit. So that, and I see, other, I see others laughing, too. So it's probably that's how it is. But, okay, Thanksgiving. Let's talk about Thanksgiving. Let's say it's Thanksgiving morning. Where are we going to meet? Send out the group family text. Whose house are we going to? Who's cooking the turkey? Who's bringing the ham? Who's doing all? Would you do that the morning of? No, you wouldn't do that. But guess what? The Passover is upon them. They've been in Bethany. One of the rules of Passover was you had to be in the city limits of Jerusalem. They couldn't stay in Bethany. They had to come. Look at verse 13 through 15. Now, today I'm going to touch briefly on the Passover, but I would encourage you next Sunday to come back. We're going to look at the, how the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper in the middle of the Passover, and we're gonna, I'm going to give you some interesting facts about Passover. A few today, more next week, and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper next Sunday as we do all of that. Unless the Lord comes. If the Lord comes, and you know the bad apples I was talking about and you're still here, my sermon notes will be on my desk, and you can use those if you need to, and you can preach to whoever comes next week if, the, if I'm gone, if the, or if the rapture happens. But anyways, for the preparation, look at verse 13, or verse 12. It says, In the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said to him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? Somebody wasn't thinking. But that's how, you know, hey, uh, Annette, this is perfect. You know how sometimes you're like, you need to plan faster. Do you see Jesus and the disciples didn't plan faster? This was the day of. They're like, what are we going to do now? That's a great time to plan things out. And I'm only teasing when I say that. But sometimes it happens. But look at, and look what it says. It says, and he sent, sent forth two of the disciples and said to them, go ye into the city, and there shall you meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him, and wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber? where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples, and he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. We know according to another gospel that it's Peter and John that he sends. And think about this. Lord, where are we going to eat? Oh, well, go into town. There's going to be a guy that has a pitcher of water in his hand. You go up to that guy, and you need to tell him that I, I'm going to use his upper room. And it's going to be furnished. It's going to be ready to go. He's going to let you use it. We'll all be there tonight, and we're ready to go. You think, but do you know Jesus did this earlier? Hey, guys, there's this guy that has a donkey. You're going to go get his donkey. He's going to let you use it. Do you know the Lord knows everything? He already knew what was going to happen. He had it all figured out. And in life, we don't have it all figured out, but God is sovereign. And he knows all things, and he has everything figured out. He has a plan for everything. Now, let me give you some Brianology for a minute. I don't do that often. But why didn't Jesus tell them before now where they were going to be? You know what my opinion is? If Jesus were to have told them before, Judas would have had them there to arrest him in the upper room. Late at night, they could have taken Jesus right there. No problems. Why didn't Jesus do that? 
personal opinion here. After Jesus died, he knew they needed a place to hide. He didn't want to give up their spot. He left that there for them. He was looking out for them. Isn't that what Jesus always does? He never looks out for himself. He always looks out for others. So I could be completely wrong with that, but I think that's a good little thought there. Another thought, who's this guy? This guy that would just give up his upper room that's furnished? And not only for their last meal together, the last supper, the Passover, but also for the disciples to go back to after Jesus was arrested. So this guy either knew the Lord or he wanted to know the Lord, and the Lord worked in his life. But there was a room ready for them. Now, just because there was a room ready, there's a lot of things that would go into the Passover meal. In your notes there, I gave you a few of those things. The first thing that you see is that an an unblemished lamb would have to be sacrificed. And this sacrifice would need to be made. The blood would be caught in a gold or silver bowl and then passed up to the priest who would splash that blood up on the altar. Then the lamb that you had slain, you would roast it. And fire is a picture of judgment that ultimately reminds everyone that Jesus is the ultimate judge. And there's more we'll talk about next week. And so you'd roast that lamb. Unleavened bread would be made. And this recalls the Israelites eating in haste as they left Egypt. They didn't have long to let, it, let the bread rise. They had to get out of there. Um, you also see there were four cups of wine would be set out on the table. I'm going to talk about those four cups next week and what they represent next Sunday. So be here next Sunday for that. The bitter herbs would be placed on the table. And that reminded them of the suffering of slavery. And then there would be some dipping sauces and different things that you'd sop the bread in. We'll talk more about that next week as well. So there was quite a bit that had to be done. They had the room. They're getting ready. And look what it says there in verse number 17, or verse 16. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found, as he said unto them, and they were made ready the Passover. And the evening he cometh with the twelve, And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and saying to him, One by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, Is the one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish? The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. They come in the evening. you got to understand, the meal was to be eaten. It wouldn't begin till sunset and had to be finished by midnight, the way that it worked. They prepared. They were ready for it. And the time had come. And one of the things that happens in the Gospels that we don't realize, the Gospels don't give all the details. You say, well, why doesn't each Gospel give all the details? Because other Gospels give other details. They, they portray Christ in different lights, so they point out different things. So if you were to take these sequence and events and put them in order, so Jesus, they're up in this upper room, John chapter 13 comes into play, and Jesus washes his disciples' feet before the meal. That's, this is an order of what's taking place. It doesn't say that here in Mark, but that would be the events that lead up to where we are, just to keep you there. And so as we see that, we see Jesus at the dinner table says something that kind of shocks everybody which leads us to number three and lastly this morning there's some application this is the third of the main points there's still application the disciples response to jesus way to kill the moment at the table 
hey, one of, I'm telling you the truth right now, verily, one of you is going to betray me. That's quite the way. Could you imagine you're just eating the meal together? The ones, these are Jesus' disciples. They're close. They love one another. You have a good family dinner. Last night, we, um, for Caroline, for Mother's Day, because of church today, and then I, we're going to go see my mom this afternoon. I always try to take Saturday and make it more about her, and then tonight we'll still go out to dinner somewhere because the restaurants are not as busy in the evening as they are right after church on Sunday. Just a little thought there for you. And so, but, so last night, and you know it's totally a Mother's Day meal. I cooked the dinner, and so grilled, she, she, liked, she loves skirt steak. It's like one of the cheaper steaks, so it works out okay. You know, you know Father's Day ribeye. Big old ribeye will be just fine. And then, you know it's a Mother's Day meal when these are the sides. Asparagus, green beans, and corn. There was more green on my plate than anything else. But it was good. I enjoyed it. It was good. And, you, you know, you put enough bacon with green beans, they can taste wonderful. You can make that work out just fine. And uh, grill the asparagus, grill the corn. But it was totally a Caroline-type meal. And so one of the things, so growing up for Caroline and I, a lot of things are similar. There were a couple things different. So in my house, my parents had three kids before I came along. There's a 15-year gap between the brother above me. So they were basically, and so my parents were in their 40s when they had me. I'm 36, and I'm like, they're crazy that they had kids in their 40s. I would not, well, anyways, I'm not going to say anything, because the Lord can do anything he wants, and I'm staying clear of anything there. So, anyways, um, but what we would do at dinner time is, my parents, my dad worked all day, he was tired, he would sit in his chair and eat his dinner in his chair. My mom would sit in her chair, and then a lot of times, Jeopardy and Will of Fortune would be on, and my brother and I would sit at the table, and that was dinner, that's the way we did it. And you say, that's not, that's just the way we did it. Other meals, special meals, yeah, everyone sat at the table, maybe a Sunday afternoon things. But in Caroline's house, every day, every dinner, they sat around, you know, there's 13 children in their family. And so you have to have a table about a mile long, whatever the case may be. And every Sunday, Sunday after church, they would, you know, you have 13 kids. They literally had to sacrifice a cow, a whole cow every week to have enough meat for 13. No, I'm just kidding. So they would have roast and potatoes and all that stuff, and they would all sit around the table. Now, Caroline's idea of a good meal would be everyone eats their meal together, and then you sit around the table and you talk for a long time. And so my idea has always been, and since I was a kid, you get your food, it's hot, you eat it quick, and you get up and go on with the rest of your day. That's just the way it goes. It's great. And, uh, or you want to talk. I'm not going to sit at the dinner table and talk. Let's go sit in the living room, and I'll sit in my recliner and have the ball game on in the background while you all talk. And that works great. That's, that's a great idea to me. Not how it is for Caroline. So I told all the kids yesterday. I huddled them up. I'm like, okay, guys, this is Mom's Day. You are not going to ask when we're done with dinner because they'll just eat real quick and get up and leave. And sometimes with the little ones, it's easier just to let them leave because then you don't Mom, 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 mom. <laughs> the other day, I get them ready and get them to school every day. And um, she, Caroline leaves and gets to school, gets things ready. Well, on Wednesday, for some reason, she was still there. And I counted 17 times in 10 minutes they said, Mom. I'm like, is it always like this? She's like, yeah, that's why I get out of here before they get up. Because this is the thing, they say dad like twice, and I'm like, do it yourself. 
William, help Matthew do that. What are you doing? You don't need my help. It works out perfect. It is true. I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. If you did that, they wouldn't say mama all the time. But anyways, so I told the kids yesterday, like, we're going to, we, we, I set up outside. We got the table and chairs outside. We had everything set for dinner. And I said, you guys are going to sit here, and you're going to act like you like it, okay? This is for mom, and you're going to do this. And you can so see they're eating their food. And I could just see it was torture to them because they're like, they just wanted to get up and go. And David gave the classic statement of the night. Do you remember how he worded it? Talking is a waste of time. <laughs> if you have a redhead, you kind of understand. At times they can be the sweetest, and at times they can just throw it out. Talking is a waste of time. And I said, amen. No, I didn't say that. I'm like, <laughs> I gave him that look like, not right now. And then they're like, what if we go play in the yard and we put on a show for you while you finish eating? And I'm like, so yeah, talking is a waste of time. Kind of, we were trying to talk so Caroline could enjoy it. Talking is a waste of time. So anyways, I just picture the disciples in Jesus. And I know some of you have those pictures those photos or the the paintings of the Last Supper, it probably didn't quite look like that. Just so you know, it looked that looked quite orderly, and uh, they weren't really there. They didn't really get a picture of it. And you know, all those pictures people have of Jesus too. I don't know that he really looked like that. There were no cameras back in those days, and he doesn't really. The Bible says he wasn't really that good looking. He just kind of blended in. So I might have been better looking than him because Caroline says I'm good looking, but no, I'm kidding. But anyways. The disciples, how do they respond? You see there, it says, hey, is it I? They got sad, they got grieved. And you look at that there, and I had a thought this week through some of my reading as I get ready for my message, and I never even thought of this before, but you see they all say, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Not one of them was concerned about Jesus being betrayed. You ever think about that? Is there anything wrong with, I, I, is there, there are times that we need to go to God and be like, hey, is it I? Is there something I need to clean up? I get that. But you see their focus was on them and not on Jesus? Should have been, Lord, you're the one that's going to be betrayed here. But they're all, is it I? Something else that's very interesting that I noticed this week, you go to uh, Matthew 26 and verse 22, and they were exceeding sorrowful. He began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Look at Judas's response in verse 25. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. When all the chief priests and the scribes, the Pharisees, and all those tried to trick him and get him, what did they always say? Hey, master or good master? You see that the other eleven said, Lord, is it I? And Jesus said, Master, teacher, is it I? Just a little thought there. I saw that this week. Could there be something deeper to it? But I noticed that. Something to notice. Every word matters in the Bible, right? So interesting thought right there. You also notice that in all the times the disciples are always listed, Judas is always the last one. He's the only one that's not from Galilee, too. Did you know that? That's a couple other little side notes about Judas that I was going to tell you earlier, but I forgot. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? They were concerned. And rightfully so. You spend all that time with the Lord and they don't know who it is. Judas has done a good job of hiding this from everyone. So what can we learn 
from this passage? What can we learn about this man, Judas? What can we learn about the preparations for the... What can we learn here today? What's some application? How can we apply this and then get ready to go do whatever we're going to do for Mother's Day? Number one on application, we're all prone to bail and to fail. I never would bail on the Lord. Um, I think some of the greatest Christians who've ever walked this planet, Peter, James, John, don't you think they are pretty good Christians? I think so. They left everything to follow the Lord. After Jesus was betrayed, did they stick with him or did they bail? They bailed. Peter denied him three times. We're all prone to bail and to fail on the Lord. Each and every one of us. I wouldn't have done... You can't say that. So many times I hear someone say, if someone, if someone came in and told me I had to recant on my faith or they were going to kill me, I would stand... You don't know what you would do. Wait till the gun's put to your head and see what you would do. Or the knife to your throat. Then, you can say a lot of things that you would do and you would never, you would never fail on God. You can't say that. None of us can until that moment comes. Some of us were afraid to go to church because you might get fined a while back. And a fining is a lot less than having a knife take your throat off. Anyways, did I just say that? I did just say that, didn't I? In your notes there, too, if you look under point number three from where we were, there are some verses that are listed about how the meal and the betrayal and all that, some prophecies from the Old Testament for you to look at. I put those there because I knew I wasn't going to have a lot of time today. And so go look at those in your time. And so we're all prone to bail and to fail. How about this one, number two, another thought? It's possible to be around Jesus and still be far away spiritually. It's possible. Oh, I go to church. So? I'm spiritual. I go to church. In all honesty, none of these guys were very spiritual. They were very focused on self at the moment. And that's why they all fled, because they were worried about them. And I wouldn't say I would do any better. I'm not saying that at all. But it, it's possible to be around Jesus and still be far away spiritually. And even this, it's possible to be around Jesus and not know him at all. That was Judas. The devil entered into him. Last time I checked, I don't think the devil can enter into a believer. I don't think that's possible. Number three, God cares for those who've been betrayed in unspeakable ways. Well, that might fit you today. You know, one of the things the Bible teaches us is that we have a high priest who can feel what we feel because he's been through all those things. He's been touched with our infirmities. One of his closest ones betrayed him. Maybe, there, maybe today there's a mother in this room that your child won't speak to you today. Jesus knows what that feels like. Maybe there's someone in this room there's been those who've betrayed you or, or your trust had been violated with them. I was thinking about that in this last week. I was dealing with one of our missionaries coming off the mission field because of something awful that they did. And I got thinking about, you know, there are a lot of people, and you come to, you pastor very long. And when people come from other places and things, you see something that happens often. Pastors hurt people. It happens. There's trust that's violated, and, and some people feel betrayed by their pastor. 
And I try to, you're not, you're you're not going to find a f- perfect pastor here. I pray that I don't ever betray you or violate your trust. But you got to understand, you don't put your trust in me. You put your trust in the Lord. And I'm sorry for those that have hurt you in your life, be it a pastor, be it a missionary, be it a teacher, be it a parent, be it a child. But God knows how you feel today. And he cares about you right where you're at. Number four, beware of the slippery slope of sin. Oftentimes with people, I'll tease them about, you're going down a slippery slope, be careful. Slippery slope. But with sin, there is a slippery slope. Judas didn't one day just say he was going to betray Jesus. This is the guy who was covetous and also was stealing money from the bag. David didn't one day wake up and say, I'm going to commit adultery today and have a guy killed. He didn't wake up and do that. No, he didn't go out to war when he should have. Sin, though it might look small, though it might look like something that's not going to hurt you very much, be careful because sin leads you to places you don't want to go. And sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. Don't, that's why the Bible, the book of Proverbs, just avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, pass away, just stay clear. Don't start down the slippery slope of sin. Because you say, I would never do this. Be careful. Inside each and every one of us in this flesh is no good thing. The seeds of sin are in us. And anyone can go down a wrong road and sin can really mess us up. Number five. You are responsible to respond. Now, some people have a hard time with this. And I got some verses listed back under point number three that I don't have time to get into today. The sovereign will of God and the free will of man. It's been debated for a long time, and people have a hard time with all of it. And I don't have time to explain that all to you today. But this is what I'm going to give you, okay? The Bible does make it clear, you can read in the book of Acts, that God, that Judas was the guy that was going to do this. God knew this. This was all part of the plan. So you say, Judas never had a choice in what he did. No, 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 no. Judas chose to do what he did. God is not responsible for what Judas did. Judas chose to do what what Judas did. Sometimes we look at the sovereign will of God and we look at free will and think they're enemies with one another. They're not enemies. They're close friends, even relatives. They're both right. And so when we look at that and when we think on those things and we think real close about it, what I want you to understand is this. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden for a minute. We're just about done. In the Garden of Eden, God knew that man would eat the tree, didn't he? He knew Adam and Eve would eat the tree. So what could God have done? Not put the tree there. We would all have no problems today if there was no tree in the garden. But God knows that they're going to eat of the tree. And what does God do? He puts the tree there anyways. Why? Because man has a free will to do what they choose to do. Adam chose to eat the fruit. It was not God's fault that Adam ate the fruit. It was not Eve's fault that Adam ate the fruit. And it wasn't Satan's fault that Eve or Adam did anything that they did. Adam chose to do what Adam did. 
So when it comes down to it, and we look at Pharaoh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. God just let it stay the way he chose to place his heart. So don't get too confused. You and I are responsible for the choices we make, okay? That's what I want you to understand. It's not, well, it's God's, God's will that ended up this way. Be careful when you throw God into things and just freely and flippantly use him to excuse what we do. God does not tempt us to sin. He does not, and he doesn't want you to sin. But because he loves you enough, he gives you a free will to choose what you do. He willfully chose to die on a cross for us. And we willfully choose whatever we do today and what we don't do. But because he's God, he knows what we're going to do. Make sense? You say, well, I still have some questions about that. One thing you've got to understand, you're never going to fully understand God, okay? You're not. I, there's one thing I've learned, and I got this. I've been married. We're, it's going to be going on 16 years in a few weeks, in a few months. And I know this. Every time I think I got her figured out, she throws me a curveball. I will never fully understand my wife, and I'm okay with that. I love her, and I love our life together, but there are going to be times I just don't understand. And you got to understand with God, you're not going to always understand everything completely. If you got more questions about the sovereign will of God and the free will of man, I did preach a message on it about ah, maybe six or seven months ago. It's on YouTube, or you can ask me about it later on. And so that'll be good. We're just about done. Let's go to number six. Remorse is not the same as repentance. Judas felt bad. He tries to return the silver. But feeling bad about something is not turning from something. 2 Corinthians 7, good verse to look at. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, this, now let's, let's talk here for a minute. If Judas were to have asked Jesus and asked God to forgive him, and he turned from what he had done, and he had turned to God instead of living for himself, and he turned to God for salvation, would Jesus have accepted him, yes or no? Yes. Yes, he would have. Jesus, even at the end of the meal before Judas left the room there, the Bible says they didn't have utensils like we have today. So what they would do is, you know, and this is one thing I still love to do today. You know, you have, how many of you like gravy? Anybody like gravy in the room? Yeah, I, I, I love gravy. Gravy, that's, I could, literally, just give me a bowl of gravy and give me some bread, and I'm good. Thanksgiving and things, before this diet, yeah, I can't, don't, don't do it as much, but man, go to Flo's, all I get is biscuits and gravy. Need nothing else. Man, that's, oh, that sounds so good today. Biscuits and gravy. Mm. Anyways, but what they would do is, whatever, if there was anything left, they would take their bread, they would clean their bowl with their bread and eat it. Jesus sopped his bread and he gave it to Judas, showing him, I love you. He was giving him an opportunity to repent, and he didn't. He goes out and he hangs himself. There's a difference between truly being sorry and just feeling bad. There are many that might feel bad about their sin, but they're not willing to turn to Jesus. You can feel bad about your sin, 
But if you don't turn to Jesus, it doesn't do you any good. The last point, number seven, and we're done. Unless you're born again, it's better to never have been born. Being born again, knowing Jesus, that's what Jesus wants for everybody. The lessons from Judas on Mother's Day, quite a day for it. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you before you leave today to come find me. I'd love to be able to show you from the Bible how you can know the difference between being remorseful and turning to Christ. As we close out our service this morning, I want to give you three quick announcements, and then I want to do a little presentation here, and we'll be on our way. Because.